Welcome, welcome to the IB Sports Wild Card Weekend Review Recap Takeaways, whatever you would like to call it. I am joined by my co-host, Keith Fleming. How are you today, Keith? What's going on, RC? Not much. So, a lot of action, a lot of action. Um, The first game of the weekend, seems like it always is that game, is Houston. Somehow, always makes it to that first makes it to that first slot on Saturday afternoon. They played the Buffalo Bills, and my first takeaway, my first thought on that game was the up and down roller coaster that is Josh Allen. We saw him run for a lot of yards. I think he had 92 yards. We saw him catch a touchdown pass. We saw his great arm a couple times. We saw him almost throw a pick six. We saw that terrible sequence at the end of the game and to some degree overtime. And I just came away thinking that this is who this kid is and he's too erratic to have long-term success in the NFL. I I think that's 100% true. I have actually been somebody that's defended Allen because he's had a good bit of success, but – I mean, just the fact, some of the plays he made near the end of the game, the, the terrible lateral decision that just was, I mean, under any circumstances, just makes no sense. And my but, Yeah, and my buddy who was watching the game, I don't know if you noticed this, you know, they always, as they go into a timeout, which they did right after that, they kind of look and give you the close-up of the quarterback. And, I mean, he looked like a deer in headlights. And that's always kind of a – terrifying thing I know we shouldn't look too much into body language and you know that kind of stuff but he just he's almost like an enigma because he can make some unbelievable plays he, he, as you can say he can do some great things with his feet but then you know I just I don't think he can be trusted and they're going to have a serious question of whether or not you know this is the guy we need to move forward with because that's a, a pretty talented roster top to bottom yeah I just can't see you know, I, I don't think – and this year they did a good job of minimizing some of him, what he did, and he brings the running game element to the uh, to the game. But I think he's a poor man's Cam Newton. And Cam Newton is already polarizing enough as it is. But then you have someone with similar skills but definitely lesser, middle-class Cam Newton. That's going to be even more frustrating, and I never remember. Cam could be inaccurate, but I never remember just these bonehead plays or just head-scratching decisions. Like, Cam's accuracy was an issue. This guy's decision-making process at times is just – you're just like, what on earth? I agree. And to move on to, you know, my basically take from this game is, the quarterback for the Texans is definitely not somebody you have any questions about. I saw the stat that he's the first quarterback, which is basically in the modern era in the last 20 years since they've had playoffs in both college and NFL to have a 14-point comeback. Uh, He did it against Alabama in the national championship. He obviously did it in this game. And, I mean, I don't know if there's any guy in the league that I would, you know, rather have at this age – with the talent, the poise, the ability to do it moving forward than Deshaun Watson. He did this without Will Fuller, who, you know, basically it's been a tale of two offenses. When Will Fuller plays, the Texans' offense is unbelievable. When he doesn't play, they struggle, which is what happened basically in the first half. 
and they, you know, they did this against a really good defense. It, it, the one thing that is definitely legit about the Buffalo Bills is they have a really good defense. I thought Watson was incredible, and he had a play that will be shown uh, in highlight packages for, you know, the rest of time in that escape on that sack where two guys just had him dead to right, and it seems to happen all the time with him. He reminds me so much of Russell Wilson. I actually think he's a little bit, you know, more accurate, uh, but it, it just it, – it's, it's incredible to watch him, and I'm very excited to see him play Mahomes next week. One of the things that I learned at an early age, because I grew up, I guess, formative, my formative years, I saw the Giants, not quite a dynasty, but definitely a uh, a big-time team under Bill Parcells, and I saw the San Francisco dynasty, and then I saw the Dallas dynasty. So it was kind of a time of dynasties in the late 80s and the 90s when I grew up watching football. And it's seeing that I heard a lot of coaches say and announcers back then, they don't say now is that sometimes you got to win ugly. It's not going to always look pretty. And honestly, the, the coaching, the decision-making, the, especially the first half when Watson was playing so poorly and holding the ball, it just – and it, I mean, it was a great game plan that Buffalo had against them, really flummoxed them, but he found a way to win. And that's all on Watson is why they won. Also, give a little bit of credit to J.J. Watt for kind of getting that sack and getting everybody going again momentum-wise and coming back and having that heart. But in order to win ugly like that, I think that's the sign sometimes of a great team, but I think this is the sign of a very good player who was able to pull that out. And guys that just make plays like Watson did that are just like legendary plays, you have no idea how it happened. They kind of just have that it factor. Absolutely. So the big question that I I have from this game is, do the Texans have a legitimate chance to go into Kansas City next week and win? I say no. I mean, there's always a chance. I say no. I think Kansas City is playing as well as they ever have this year. I think the defense is very improved, and I think they had the streak of allowing, like, under, you know, double-digit games for five out of the last six games or something crazy. Like, granted, the competition wasn't great, but, I mean, they played a decent team. I mean, Oakland is decent, and uh, Denver can be decent. They played people in their conference, and, uh, and that was in the snow. And the Chargers, you're still going against Phillip Rivers. So I, I, don't, I think their defense is going to be ready to play. I don't think Houston's defense can contain, even come close to containing the Chargers. And also, they've just been consistent, inconsistent all year long in Houston. And so, honestly, they really should have lost that game. And they have not impressed me back-to-back weeks, I don't think, all season. So I, I would go heavily with the, with the Chiefs. I agree. The only caveat to that would be is if the Kansas City defense from the first half of the season shows up instead of the second half. But, you know, teams usually peak at different times, and it appears that their defense is doing that. And I agree with you that the only way the Texans win that game is if it gets into a shootout and it's, you know, a high 20s, low 30s, uh, you know, back-and-forth game because uh, Mahomes has, you know, sort of proved it so far in the clutch, but Watson definitely has, not just at the pro level, but also at the college level. And, you know, honestly, if you had Mahomes and Watson and it's a deal where each of them get a shot last, I trust Watson more than Mahomes. I just I agree with you that I don't think it's going to come down to that. Yeah, I'm really high on Mahomes. So, and I'm high on Watson too, but I'm really high on 
Mahomes, um, so that that give that the edge. And I think the coaching advantage is pretty clear too. I think there are too many areas where Houston is at a disadvantage, and I don't I don't believe in Bill O'Brien at all. And I think it's a shame that Bill O'Brien is the one in charge of Watson's career when he has such the potential to be such a great player. But uh, my big takeaway, my biggest conclusion, um, is that no one went, wanted to win this game. I think there was a fourth and 27 play in their own territory, and they decided to still go for it. And somehow, I remember, right, like Houston gave them the ball back. I can't remember. They fumbled or what they did. But all the sacks that you saw, you saw Josh Allen looking good from one place to the other, the inexplicable lateral, the the conservatism of punting the ball early on in your own territory. Again, Bill O'Brien's coaching. I just, uh, it was a very frustrating, head-scratching game to watch from beginning to end, and it got worse in the closing moments. Absolutely. I mean, just to highlight your point, you know, the Buffalo makes one of the more head-scratching decisions ever. you got three timeouts left. It's fourth and 27. You don't have an offense. I mean, no offense really is set up for a fourth and 27, but Buffalo is one of the last ones set up to get a conversion there. You could punt them back deep. Your defense is good. So they make this terrible decision. And then Bill O'Brien with a chance to kick a 47-yard field goal decides to go for it on fourth and two when it's like you either try the field goal, make it a six-point game, or you punt it. I don't understand why in that situation you you go for it there. I just To me, you either kick the field goal, and, yeah, if you miss it, they basically get the ball around where they did anyway by not getting it, or you punt it and just say, okay, Josh Allen, go the length of the field uh, to get the game signed field goal or go ahead touchdown. It just It was awful coaching on both sides down the stretch. Yeah, so let's move uh, to the Tennessee. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, moving to the Titans and the Pats, the Titans won in what many would call an old-school game. And sort of, you know, I think this the, the biggest thing about this is this could be bad news for Baltimore. Uh, the Ravens are obviously been the best team in football all season. I'm very curious to see how these teams match up. I think they have very similar styles. And it was an unbelievable game where the Titans got a close win. Uh, what, did, what, what was your take from this game? Uh, gosh, it's just in some ways I thought it was a change of the guard. I also thought it was kind of funny how one of Bill Belichick's disciples, even I don't think Dribble's ever been on the coaching staff, but I think he's uh, he obviously played for them. I, I, a lot of things that you could take away from this game, but I thought the the biggest thing was that the Patriots' offense didn't have enough, and it and it's a little bit of just Belichick's arrogance of all these years that he's just been able to pretty much give Brady anything. The Damian Dolos of the world, even the Julian Edelman, who's good as he is, he's limited. The Chris Hogan's now Muhammad Sanu, like you just can't give a quarterback a, a group of receivers where no one is a legitimate deep threat or and a legitimate physical receiver with the physical advantages and expect them to win. And so I just thought it was amazing how bare the cupboard Belichick allowed the cupboard to get for Brady, who isn't capable, obviously, of carrying a team anymore. I don't think he's as bad as he looks, 
but he's definitely not good enough to carry a team anymore. I think the other thing that it really boosts the legacy of Rob Gronkowski because in a lot of ways it's very similar pieces to, you know, last year. I know they lost Hogan, but Gronk was always that go-to guy. He's been the hardest matchup in the NFL, I mean, arguably, other than Randy Moss in the last two decades, if you say, if not ever, because, you know, you put a smaller guy on him, he's just going to beat him up. You put a bigger guy on him, he's just going to blow by him. And, I mean, I agree with you that the Patriots have done really a terrible job of putting pieces around Brady, especially for a guy who has taken pay cuts. Uh, you know, he hasn't got that big contract like almost every other top quarterback in the NFL in the last decade. And they, you know, hoard all these draft picks. They trade back. And they just – and they've had a lot of misses. I mean, you look at it, Sony Michelle has not been the player that, you know, I think they wanted him to be. Uh, Nikhil Harry, which in his defense, he's a first-year guy, but he was pretty much a non-factor and they've just they've had a lot of you know misses, especially early in the draft offensively. And as you said, I mean he's a forty what two forty three year old quarterback at this point, especially with the way the defense is set up. In my opinion, New England should be trying to be an offense very similar to the one that won really their first three Super Bowls, where they run a lot, you play action, and you have guys that can get open. And it's really ironic that how big would it have been just to have Danny Amendola? You know what I'm saying? To where you yeah, could have run two slots with Amendola go. and Edelman. That, like, I don't understand why they would let somebody that solid go who always seems to show up. Like, if he's just so arrogant, like, you can't keep some of these people? Even like and, – and even like somebody like Chandler Jones who – there was no reason to let him go. Like, Chandler Jones is, like, one of the best defensive ends. And I know the defense is good, but they still don't have, like, game records. Like, some of these guys, maybe you should keep them and pay them. I think it's Belichick. You know, he's obviously the greatest coach of all time. I don't think that can be argued. But I think with anybody who's that great at their craft, there comes arrogance and an ego, and I think he he just believes he can outsmart everybody, and he thinks he always knows when a player has kind of reached their peak and he can let them go. And it's it's really sad because the pass defense is legit. I mean, I know they got ran all over, but, again, they gave up, what, uh, really 14 points. They had the pick six at the end. Uh, The defense played well enough to win yesterday, and you you just think that – the New England Patriots and Foxborough are going to score at least 24 points or more, you know, you can just go ahead and put it down. And it says a lot about where their offense is at with the pieces that they have and obviously the age of their quarterback when they can't do that. So that kind of leads me to the, the big question coming out of this game is, is this dynasty over? And do you think Brady and Belichick will both be back next season? Gosh, it's so hard to – the way Belichick was making it sound is that he didn't want to talk about it, but he basically said that, like, everybody has to agree on it um, to do it. And so, you know, a lot of guys, Peyton Manning had to leave. I don't want to say Joe Namath because he doesn't really deserve it. Brett Favre had to leave. He's not – you know, he's not really in that class, Joe Namath, but he did have to go to another team. Joe Montana had to leave. But it just seems like Tom Brady playing so long. Why wouldn't you run it back and just give him a few more weapons? I don't see where on earth uh, 
they're going to magically get a quarterback because they've traded Garoppolo. If they're going to do this, they would have done this, what, three years ago. So I think yep. you have to run it back. And I think Kraft is that guy that bridges the gap between the two of them because Tom has said over and over again that he just wants to feel appreciated. He just wants to feel respected. And I think that's all it's going to take yep. is a little bit of appreciation, a little bit of respect. I I agree. I mean, the one thing I will say that we could potentially end the dynasty is obviously if Brady decides to leave because he's a free agent. And, you know, there's been the, the piece a couple of years ago saying there's tension between them. Uh, you know, maybe Brady wants to go to California or, you know, wherever. I don't see him doing that, but he does have the power if he wants to. But I know I've learned, you know, over the last 20 years, the dynasty ain't over until Bill Belichick is not, you know, the coach on the sideline. And, you know, maybe even with or without Tom Brady at quarterback, I think, though, as long as both of those guys are, you can't say that it's over. I mean, it was amazing just looking back uh, over the break at people forget that, you know, the Pats won three Super Bowls in four years and then had basically a after the 2007 Super Bowl loss where they were undefeated, lost in the last game, they had a terrible seven-year stretch. And, I mean, I guarantee you at that time people were asking on podcasts or shows like this if the over-under was one Super Bowl more win for Brady and Belichick, you would kind of go, I don't know if I take the over-under. And they went to five more and won three. So this is the greatest duo to ever do it. I would not count them out, and I'm with you that I think at the end of the day, both Brady and Belichick know that their best chance to continue to win, which is what both of them want to do because they understand that that is at the end of the day what, you know, legacies are all about is those rings. They're both going to be back and and trying to win it again next year. Yeah, I think they – what they've done when they have lost is they've retooled. They've retooled what they've done and adjusted, even though there have been years like this, even though this is the first time they've lost in the division around. We saw some slippage. I believe they've been to, like, the last seven, eight, nine AFC championship games at least. It's just ridiculous the kind of challenges that they've had. But I, I think they would retool. The defense obviously is loaded, but it wouldn't take much to make some moves. And they did make that move with Antonio Bryant, no, Brown knowing they needed it, but obviously we know what happened with that. I think it would be a very different team if Antonio Brown could stay on the up and up and narrow and would have stay, could have stayed on that team. But as we know, he's insane. Um, my big conclusion of it, my big conclusion from all this is you just got to tip your hat to the Tennessee Titans. They First of all, they had the guts to bring in Ryan Tannehill. Too often when you have a quarterback like that, teams don't bring in somebody like Mariota. They don't bring in a guy to challenge them. Now, uh, the Buccaneers did it with Jameis, and they brought Fitzpatrick in. Fitzpatrick won the job, lost the job, won the job. But eventually, they moved on from Fitzpatrick. uh, But in this case, the team had – they got hot, and they stayed hot with Ryan Tannehill, and it's this resurgence. And even though Ryan Tannehill only had – 78 yards. He had the highest quarterback rating in the in the uh, league this year. You had Derrick Henry just being ridiculous. And part of that, the reason why he could be ridiculous is because they had Ryan Tannehill that you had to respect and A.J. Brown and all that that you had to respect. And Tannehill still made a couple big throws in that game too. 
So just everything Drable and the Titans have done, you got to tip the hat of a team that could change course in the middle of the season and become a contender out of that. And just to get back to, you know, kind of how I started this uh, segment is that if I'm the Ravens, I am so upset that it that it went this way because I think the Ravens could easily handle in their place any of the other options in this next round. And the Titans, they play a very similar style. They both want to run the ball, eat clock, you know, play physical. And it's going to be a very interesting matchup. And hopefully, you know, the Ravens uh, have a game plan for Derrick Henry because obviously I think if you can slow Henry down, then we'll really get to see if Tannehill can do more than just make some plays because he was, as you said, he made some excellent plays, especially moving in the pocket, you know, making timely third down passes. But if the Ravens game plan obviously is going to be to try to make Tannehill do more. But if I'm Baltimore, if I'm Harbaugh, I am not excited about this matchup next week. And I know that I'm going to have a dog fight because this team just went into New England. And I know we just made a litany of reasons why New England is not as good as they've been in years past. But it is still something to go into New England and win a playoff football game. It's been a long time since the team has done that. I think uh, from a scheme perspective, from what Drable and that defense can do was really impressive to the Patriots. They've been generally impressive most of the season. Uh, you've got on offense, you've got to see if, if, how they match up. I think they match up really well with the Ravens, like you were saying. I think offensively, I think they have the advantage over that defense, and I think their defense can do enough to keep them in the game, and it's anybody's game. And, and just I, I really do think – I mean, I think the Ravens are going to win, but I think it's going to be closer to that somewhere in between how the Niners – and the Bills played them closer than the Bills came, but not as close as the Niners came, I think, is how that game goes. But I think it's going to be a hell of a game. And the only thing real quick to say is I hope the Ravens win so bad because I do not want to hear all the Internet warriors that are going to come out of the floodgates if, say, Lamar Jackson doesn't have a great game and they end up getting beat by Tennessee, there's going to be people puffing their chest saying, I told you so, and it's like, look, the dude's already proven he can play in this league, playoff games, all kinds of good quarterbacks have bad ones, and I can just already see the narrative if they lose to what is a really good, complete Tennessee Titan football team. All right, our next game, one of the maybe the most entertaining game. I don't know how you feel about it. But the Vikings and the Saints, it was a rematch of two years ago where they had the just miraculous catch by Diggs. Uh, my first takeaway is that the Vikings D-line was dominant. Zimmer came in there kind of with a NASCAR package, a lot of times putting four defensive ends in, and they were very fast and they were coming after Drew Brees, and he never was able to get into a rhythm because that defensive line, Everson Griffin and uh, Daniel Hunter, were coming all day long. So two quick things I just want to go over real quickly before I get into my takeaway from this game. And one is how insane is it that these two teams have met three uh, times in the playoffs, 2009, 2017 and this year, 
all three have ended on the last play of the game. I mean, that like the odds of that happening are just astounding. And then the other thing is, I don't know if you noticed, but Joe Buck was taking Troy Aikman to school. First, Aikman uh, made a comment when they took Drew Brees out about how he would he would never like to see <laughs> Drew Brees on the sideline. Hill throws a 50-yard pass. Joe Buck hesitates and then goes, how about that play with Drew Brees on the sideline? And then again, <laughs> when Peyton made the bad blunder of not calling a timeout to have 21 seconds left with no timeout instead of 11 seconds with a timeout. And I just, I agree with Joe Buck. And he called uh, Aikman out that I don't know why with Drew Brees, you don't trust him in that situation to call the timeout. Brees is the kind of quarterback that he'd probably throw something to the sideline. He'd be able to get up, get the line spiked. And they basically wasted 10 seconds. And with that offense, you can't tell me there's not a chance that they do bust a big one for a touchdown. I know they went into overtime, so it's meaningless. But And just to, to get to the takeaway of this, to me, it's the Saints have underachieved since their Super Bowl win. As a Falcons fan, I get a little joy in this. But, I mean, honestly, Drew Brees is – one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. It's almost criminally underrated, but they have really underperformed. They've had lots of heartbreaking losses, lots of losses where coaching decisions have been bad. You know, Breeze hadn't played good, and it's almost getting to the point because you get near the end of the run, what could have been for the Saints during this Peyton Breeze era? I think so, too. Uh, uh, not John Washington, but Richard Washington posted on the page about where do we rank Breeze when we're looking at these playoff disappointments. And, and we've made excuses during the middle, and I'd have to go back and look, but we've made excuses during the middle of his career when he was throwing 5,000 yards after the Super Bowl, and he didn't have good defenses. But these last, since they drafted Kamar and Marshawn Lattimore, and uh, and Bell, there's, there's those Ohio State, the Ohio State crew, and Kamar, that really great draft. They have had, and the line is good, they have had one of the best running backs in the league, one of the best backs, Michael Thomas, also around that area too, one of the best receivers. So you've got a top five line, a top five receiver, a top five back, and at times a top five defense, certainly a top ten defense overall, if you look at the whole scope of things, at some point it's got to be on you in these games that are home games. Drew Brees is not balling out in these games. That used to be a place that you pretty much, like, penciled a win for the Saints, not only in the regular season, but also in the playoffs. And you think about it, they, they've had a lot of losses. I saw a video today on Twitter, and I'd actually kind of forgot, you know, they had the Marshawn Lynch run in the wild card. I believe that was a year after the Super Bowl. That was a four-point game. The next year, the 49ers, Alex Smith threw a touchdown literally with 10 seconds left. Now, in that game, you need to remember, Breeze actually let him down for a game, you know, winning touchdown drive only to have the defense collapse the other way. Then you have the Minnesota Miracle. You have the Rams game last year, which I had actually forgot because all you think about is the pass interference. New Orleans got the ball first in overtime, and Breeze threw a terrible pick. And, oh, my God. You know, they just, horrible pick. So, to your point, you know, he's sort of underperformed. And I I think without question, Breeze is definitely one of the top ten quarterbacks of all time. His accuracy, the numbers he puts up, how much his teams win. I, a lot like what I say for Matt Ryan, I get picked on. New Orleans was losers 
before Drew Brees got there. Losers. And for a quarterback even to make them relevant year after year, to me, says a lot. And they just have not got it done. And there's been several years that I think, you know, me and you watch a lot of football. I consider us pretty knowledgeable. Would you not think that you think the Saints going into the playoffs had a great chance or a great path to the Super Bowl or to even win it? And, I mean, it's not just like they haven't won one. They haven't even got back to one. Yeah, and last year, obviously, in some ways, they got ripped off, and in some ways, it was poor execution. And because of their failures, they they want to blame the refs. And so, again, like, did you think – what did you think of the offensive pass interference, the no call? I, I don't think you can call that. If I remember correctly, and I didn't get to see it slowing down because I immediately flipped it over to the other channel, but – at, mm-hmm. at live speed, it looked like the defender first made contact. Like, he kind of grabbed yeah, at him. Yeah, he basically did. And then I know they got separate. Okay, so, I mean, to me, like, if you're a Saints fan, how are you going to say, well, you got to call offensive pass interference when, like, there definitely was a hold, you know, two seconds before you got to that point of the play. And I just don't think you can call something like that on that kind of a play. Why do you have somebody that small on Kyle Rudolph in a goal line situation on third and goal when you know the Vikings are going to, you know, probably try to go to Rudolph. That's what they do a lot down there. Yeah, I, I it was a great play call and a great throw. And I just think he wasn't good. Without the contact, that would have been the same result anyway. He bear hugged him because it was a six foot, 190-pound guy on a six five, 250-pound man. He had no chance. And the matchup was unfair. And so he did what he had to do. I think it was Marcus Williams. He did what he had to do, yep. and he got he got the push up. Now, when you extend it, could he have embraced the contact and just smacked his hands down? Yeah, but and as a ref on the field, would I have maybe called it? Maybe, but to overturn it, I don't know. But when I see a guy bear hug somebody and initiate the contact, I tend to have sympathy on the offense. I completely agree. So on the other side of that, and that gets to my big question, we saw Kirk Cousin make some really beautiful passes. The throw he he threw to Adam Thielen, and sometimes I like to make fun of Troy Aikman, but he even made the comment that he made the throw of his life, and boy, was it. And then he made the great throw to Rudolph for the game-winning touchdown. Do you trust the Vikings with Kirk Cousin as their quarterback the rest of the way to, you know, being a serious contender because they have a loaded, you know, team top to bottom. It's so funny. I believed in the Vikings all year long. In my power rankings, I consistently had them ahead of the Packers. I said they were a better team than the Packers, but they had that – they got really hot in the middle of the season. Then they had that lull where everybody was really hurt, and then the last two weeks those games meant nothing, so it looked really weird. But then they went into an environment where they're very comfortable in against a team they're very comfortable against, and they pulled the game out. But long story short, I can't trust Kirk Cousins. I could easily <laughs> see this. I mean, this has been the year of his redemption, and I could easily see if it wasn't Kirk Cousins, Cousins and being the Redskins quarterback so long in Virginia, had to see him. I've seen him play a piece of every game he ever played almost. And and I've caught most of the uh, Vikings games. And I just think he's that guy that screws it up, screws the pooch, 
and inexplicably screws the pooch. So I'll never totally believe, but I like him, and I'm I'm higher on him than most people are. I actually think that you can trust Cousins. I think their issue is they're playing my team that I think is going to win the Super Bowl, the San Francisco 49ers. They're going, you know, across country. Uh, they're Saturday, so it's going to be a short week. And I just think the Niners are, are the best team in the NFL. They're big, they're fast, they're physical. And they kind of have the same situation where as long as Garoppolo basically just – I don't even think he has to play great, but just plays well – they're going to be really difficult to beat. So I know it's kind of a cheat, but I don't necessarily think Cousins is the reason that the Vikings, you know, can't be trusted the rest of the way. I just think they have a bad matchup coming up uh, in the next round. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the Niners were my pick for the uh, not the preseason, obviously. But I, I, if you remember, I was very high on the Niners. I said you were very high. They far, they far exceeded that. I just I like I've always liked Garoppolo, and I know that defense had to offer. Um, and also, I know Shanahan's an excellent coach. There's no way the Vikings are gone. If the Vikings beat them, they're going to win the whole Super Bowl because they are a team of destiny, which I do not believe that's what they are. So I, I think it's definitely San Francisco, possibly by two touchdowns. It will definitely be a game effort by the uh, the Vikings. But I think Dallin Cook was sensational there. But I think yes, if you can stop Dallin Cook and you don't have to respect the play action as much, they make Kirk Cousins just into a regular passer, I think you're going to see the weaknesses of the Vikings exposed. They are, though, a different team in fairness. With Thielen is starting to look healthy. And, you know, when you have Diggs and Thielen, Rudolph and Cook, that, I mean, I'd take those weapons over just about anybody's, you know, with a running back tied in and two receivers. I mean, those are some big play guys. And so my big conclusion from all this, and uh, just just looking at the phone here, our show Succession won the Golden Globe for Best Drama. Yes. Well deserved, right? Well deserved. They they really Uh, did right. They did. Yeah, exactly. I know, but I wonder what they'll do when the uh, the big Emmy awards come up. But my big conclusion is the Saints played scared. It's just, are you? serious with that last drive and you said uh you were just feeling you said it didn't really make make a difference but it did make a difference because they should have took some shots in the damn end zone yep they like you can't just settle for three and to go to overtime you when you get down there you and especially in this era where guys are taking more risks you should be looking to try to score to end the game you should not just be selling for the field goal i don't know what the hell happened with kamara and the illegal motion or whatever the hell, illegal formation, whatever the hell he did. But it's still Awful. inexcusable to get a penalty on a damn spike and you lose 10 seconds. Like, that's just not okay. And just between – he got outcoached. Sean Payton's got to take blame for this too. He got outcoached by the old hat Zimmer, who I would love to be the Cowboys coach. Jerry, are you listening? Because Mike Zimmer is one of my favorite coaches in the whole league. But they just had that scared – field from the very beginning of the game and they were the same way against uh, the uh, the Rams last year in the Dome at home no excuse and more interestingly as a Falcons fan I know and notice this the crowd also seemed that way and that might have a lot to do yeah. with the point that I made that 
it's not a home field advantage or a definite win. I've been to many Falcons games where the crowd, like we can, we just know something bad is coming and you can kind of understand it from the fans point of view, look at what it, you know, the litany of things we just said that's happened in the last decade. You start to think that that stuff's going to happen and to flip on the point that you were saying about you got to be aggressive, I really thought when they were about to snap the ball with 21 seconds before the false start, how fitting would it be if the Saints, two years after the Vikings, you know, throw a touchdown basically well, with literally no time left, if they threw a touchdown with, say, like one or two seconds left to beat the Vikings, and then, you know, just a blunder by a player and then a blunder by a coach. And it's like what you said, it, that's, that's nerves scared, whatever you want to call it, without a doubt. I mean, that's what that is. It's just that that here we go again mentality. You talk about it with the Falcons as a fan. You know, it's good to talk to, like, a rational Falcon fan as opposed to the one we have on the page that seems <laughs> to get all the attention. But you give us that sense of dread that it's like to be a Falcons fan. And even before you guys got good, um, you you just had that feeling, of, and the Saints had that feeling too, and you just revert back to it. As a Cowboy fan, we have that feeling of the last 25 years, basically. So we always have, oh, well, we used to win, you know. So it's not this um, – it, it's not this thing that's always been the case. And so I can only imagine – and it's funny, too, because I used to say a lot that, like, a country – like what a country is, is in the fabric of, like, the soil itself almost, with America being so independent and we declared independence and there's so much individuality. But the same thing with sports franchises. Like, you're shaped by the history of the team, and it does affect things. It's kind of funny how that works. It, it, you can't, I, Like, that's so beautifully put. And it, it seriously, I tell, I get so mad, like, you know, with what's going on with the Falcons right now with TD and, you know, the guys coming back and, you know, some people being like, well, y'all shut up. You don't know this. It's like, dude, with what the fans have been through, they have a right to boo. They have a right to not be happy with the coach. It's like I understand some franchises like the Steelers, the Pats, the Cowboys even that have had success to where you can say, well, at least the people in charge have had success at one point. We've never had success. So it's like don't lecture, you know what I'm saying, like sports media people or analysts on the radio, you know, how fans should feel because these are real emotions. We're there day in and day out no matter what name is on. You know, we're more worried about the name on the front of the jersey than on the back. And it's just, it is, it's it's a awful feeling. I try to explain people, try being a Falcons fan or even an Atlanta, Georgia fan, and then, you know, cry me a river when I hear other, you know, franchise saying, well, we blew this game or that one. I'm like, I've been going through this my entire life. <laughs> yeah. Seahawks uh, and the Eagles, I thought this was probably the weakest game of the uh, – and partly because oh, yeah. Carson Wentz, but the whole thing, I don't know if I was tired or fatigued, but I kind of just got – um, I don't know. I just got I got bored with it, but I definitely did watch, especially the second half. I went to the gym the first half. I definitely watched the second half. But I'll let you do your takeaway first. What was your takeaway from this game? My takeaway, and this is no disrespect to the Seahawks, but it's really about the Eagles, and it's only kind of fitting that they were eliminated because they had another major injury, this time to their most valuable player, Wentz. 
I think that Peterson deserves a ton of credit for the coaching job he did this year. I think the fact that with Josh McCown, who they literally had to, you know, uh, get the dust off of on the sideline and tell him to come into the game, actually made it a game. And they were in it to the the very end uh, with backup running backs, backup receivers, backup quarterbacks, backup defensive players. Uh, but, you know, eventually, and that is football a lot of times, just injuries mount and it's too much. And this one was too much to overcome. At some point, I'm going to start wondering about the Eagles training staff if they all get hurt next year. But I do think a lot of this yep. stuff was flukish. I think Alshon Jeffrey was injury prone. I've seen uh, getting old. I mean, I've seen Aguilar. I mean, I don't know if he's injury prone or not, but Deshaun Jackson certainly was injury prone. Uh, controversial, but Carson Wentz is injury prone. So I don't necessarily think that's a training staff. But it's just amazing how many people got hurt um, on that roster. It's just like, wow. But I, I I definitely thought that um I just thought that it's just they, they it was a hell of a run. Like I tip my cap to the Eagles because as a Dallas fan, a lot of guys get on that's our thesis rivalry and especially in the group, but in general. Uh, some people even speculated that Jerry released the information about Jason Garrett being officially let go <laughs> during the game as a way to distract from it. Like that's our rival right now. And uh, so people get on me for complimenting them. But, it, I mean, and, and two, when you compliment someone, it doesn't mean it's the greatest thing you've ever seen. It's not all buying it. Right. This was an impressive run by Carson Wentz, an impressive coaching job by Doug Peterson, impressive by everybody in that franchise that participated in that. It's not easy to find practice squad players that can go in and contribute. And that's what they did. So my hat's off. And they just ran. It's a battle of attrition. And they couldn't do it anymore. So if you were an Eagles fan or, you know, owner, general manager, would you be worried that your franchise quarterback, who without a doubt has proven he can play, but is he injury prone? You see that one, people are getting mad on Twitter, and uh, I can't remember his name, Uh, Dan Orlowski. Ever since he's gotten on Get Up, he's kind of been more hot taking. He used to give more analysis, oh, yeah. but still, uh, I like him though. Still, it's fading. And uh, one of the admins, Stephen, he got mad at me, and he's been drinking, so he muted himself because he got <laughs> mad at me. But when you say injury prone, you're literally saying they're likely to get injured. So if there's a guy who keeps getting injured, he's likely to get injured. Now. And and all of those play well, not all the two last ones, the ACL, you say it's a freak situation. You can say this is a freak situation. But both of those last two injuries came with him putting himself in harm's way in a reckless fashion. So yep. you're choosing to dive head first, exposing yourself, and then you're choosing to dive head first again earlier against the Rams and get your leg torn up. So there's a reason why you're getting hurt. These are not plays Russell Wilson typically would make. You know, you play smart. Like Lamar, you have to play smart and protect your body because you realize that you're a resource when you're the quarterback. You're the most important person on the field, in the building, for the franchise. And just to highlight your point, watching Russell Wilson in the same game, you know, slide, 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 and do it the correct way. It's like, and I know it was a cheap shot. There is no doubt about that. But, like, what are you doing diving head first 
in the biggest game of the season, your first playoff game, and the biggest knock against you is you were great the year that your team won the Super Bowl, but you didn't play any of those playoff games that actually won the Super Bowl. You just you have to, as a quarterback, think about this kind of stuff. Michael Vick, who I love, you know, obviously, again, as a Falcons guy, he was the same way, where it's like later in his career he figured it out, but unfortunately by then some of his, like, out-of-this-world athleticism had kind of faded away to where he was still fast, but not unbelievably fast. But we used to say it all the time, like, dude, slide. Like, and Wilson, Watson, those kind of guys, uh, Lamar Jackson has, has really gotten better about it. That's just what you need to do is you have to take care of your health first and foremost. Uh, the big question coming out of this game is, and I know we just spent all this time talking about the Eagles, but I actually think there's a possibility. Are the Seahawks set up for a surprise Super Bowl win? Because they're going to either, uh, they're going to be, uh, I think, having the easiest matchup next week of the two going into Green Bay. A lot of people are not big on them. And obviously, if they can get by that, they're either going to have a home game or a third game against a division rival, which we all know those can be wild and crazy, and who knows what's going to happen. Do you think they have a chance to make a sneaky Super Bowl run here? I don't think so. I think because they're just too depleted. I actually wasn't that impressed with this victory. I feel like it should have really been a blowout. They let them come around. I can't. If I can, they let them hang around. If I can go, I'm going to look and see what they've been scoring. And they're another team that's been depleted by injuries. Oh, yeah. The line, this is a four-string running back. And also you got Marshawn Lynch, who actually <laughs> as much of – and maybe you put him in and you put him there because he, he lifts the spirits of the team. But he's not effective. The one-yard line, which a lot of people can do. He had six. He had six carries for seven yards the week before. He did score a touchdown, but again, these are not very far out. And he did score a touchdown, but it's it's not. It's just not there, you know. It's, it's not. It's not giving you starting running back caliber stuff like people try to say. So I think they don't have the running game. I think if you had Chris Carson there, I think you have a chance. I don't think they beat Green Bay. I don't think they've got what it takes to beat Green Bay, and I thought Green Bay was a fraud all year, but I just don't think they have enough left to beat Green Bay, much less. Now, if they play the 49ers, anything can happen, but I think the Niners will beat them again, but anything can happen in those situations. But I just don't see a scenario where they get to the Super Bowl. The only reason I think there still is hope is because, A, they have Russell Wilson, and I just – the more I watch him, the more disrespect I have. He is just he, – he almost seems like he's moving at – or I guess the guys around him are moving at slow motion and he's moving at full speed or vice versa because he just always it's almost seems like he's so a video cool game. and calm in the pocket. And like the Matrix. Exactly. You know, the bullets are coming by him. Exactly. And he's just handling exactly. it and he sees everything so much slower and it all slows down to him. But at the same time, you can't win like that every single week where you're putting it all on yourself. Uh, I saw there was a really good stat where they had blitzed him so many times and got pressure on 88% of their blitzes, but yet Russell Wilson was like six of seven. All right, I have it here. Okay, so the Eagles blitzed Russell Wilson heavily on third down, eight of 13 dropbacks, generating pressure on 88% 
of the third down blitzes, but to no avail. This is from Next Gen Sports. Wilson versus the blitz on third down. Six of seven, 163 yards, 75% success rate. Wilson was under pressure on six or seven of those attempts. So he overcame that, but there's no way in the world you can do that every single week against good teams, no matter how good you are. You know what? The other two things that I will say is their defense has been playing really well as of late. They're different with clowning. They're very different defenses clowning. Absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, some years there's that one team that they just win all the close games. And that's been Seattle this year with the exception of, I believe, one. The other interesting thing yeah. is, and if, if this Probably would be if they went the road the whole about. way, Seattle is historically the home team, right? That they went at home. They were four yeah, and four yeah, at home this year, seven and one on the road. So yeah, it will be interesting yeah. if they go on the road all three rounds in a year. They went seven and one on the road and got to the Super Bowl. I hope that doesn't happen because I think that, that whoever came out of the FC would smoke them. But I wouldn't count them out because they got good coaching. Their defense is playing well, and you know Russell Bustle can make things happen. Hustler, Bustle, Russell Wilson from the uh, – I think uh, my big takeaway was DK Metcalf. Now, it's so funny, too, because I've been in sports for so many years and seen so many things. Like, I've been following sports as intense as I do right now since I was about – since I knew sports existed, 10, 11, 12. You know, I was reading Sports Illustrated when I was, like, 10, 11. Um and DK Metcalf was made it to be into this workout warrior because he was getting all this hype from the internet. And it did used to be the thing that if you were getting hype from the magazines, that, that meant that you probably were a workout warrior. But the scouts that were looking at DK Metcalf and I was looking at him, you know, and the people I was listening to said there's a lot of things on the field besides that picture that went viral that AJ Brown is also on. And he looks great, but he just doesn't look like, you know, a human Batman. But there were so many good things about what he could do. And what I was trying to tell people is that what he can do is so phenomenal that if anybody has a brain, you say, okay, he can't run, uh, he can't run curls. He can't run, uh, uh, you know, whip routes or any kind of double moves or complicated routes. Well, why are you asking him to? Like, He's phenomenal going deep. He'll be phenomenal at dig routes, phenomenal at post routes. He probably can run a comeback. Like, don't ask him. He's an A-plus in what he does do, so just let him do what he does do. <laughs> so that was my philosophy about him. You're, you're, uh, you should be beating your chest more than you have on this podcast because as a member of the group for the last year, I mean, you did. You were big on Metcalf coming out, uh, coming into the draft, after the draft when he fell a little bit. And I'm shocked you just kind of glossed over the fact. Did you have the 49ers going 11-5? and five? And I literally direct messaged you and went, dude, saw your pick. I love them. 49ers 11-5 and five win the division? Like, what? And, I mean, it was a great call. So is Metcalf as we were texting back and forth. He just he looks like a grown man, and it's so unusual, kind of like a Gronk, J.J. Uh, Watt, for a yeah. guy to play a position. And he just looks so much bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. And, you know, that's what he looked like. And he is going to be with Russell Wilson, uh, you know, for the next five, however many long years. They're, they're going to be a very dangerous duo. And I don't know how much longer this is going to be the case, but, folks, if you're evaluating players and they go off on Alabama, 
Look very closely into that player. I still have regrets of not saying Watson was higher. You know, I thought he'd be okay, but I didn't see how great he would be because I looked at some of the sloppiness as opposed to looking at his high point against Alabama. And um, I, I, so, I, so when I saw DK go off on Alabama, I'm like, okay, okay. And I saw some other things too. Um, and I, I hope the like Chicago Bears are listening. Draft. I know. I like a lot of receivers in that draft. Like, there were guys that I couldn't even – like, I like McLaurin, and I don't even think I got had him in my top 50, but I really liked him. I think I had A.J. Brown. Might have been my third or fourth receiver, but I had him all in the top 50. Like, I really, really liked the receivers in that draft, and this was draft was supposed to be even better. But um, That's going to be ridiculous. Let's see if we can wrap up anything. I think uh, my big conclusion from this was that it was just a stale game. It was stale. They weren't scoring. It was stale before Carson got hurt. It just, from what we, the drama that we got to see, um, just to see these two teams that were really depleted, it. I felt like I wish that had been the first game on Saturday because a lot of times the first game on Saturday is usually the dud. And maybe I'm spiteful because I wanted the Cowboys to be there, but I don't think so. But, um, yeah, I just, I just didn't. I wasn't feeling that game. It was just now Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson, but I just wasn't feeling it. And I just wish that – I mean, I hate that Wentz got hurt in all seriousness because with the way the game, you know, stayed close, I know games are going to be different when a player goes out and stuff, but I would have loved to see Wentz in that position, especially down eight with the ball, you know, near the goal line to see if he could get it done in his first playoff game. And, you know, in fairness to the – it was a boring game, but also, man, it was exhausting. That, the first three games were all great. And for yeah. that to be yeah, the worst game the that was still a game down to, what, two minutes left in it, uh, you know, it says a lot about the NFL and the parity this year. And I think you've been saying that, that there's a lot of good football teams, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the rest of these playoffs go. All right, let's do some predictions really quick. Uh, we kind of alluded to them, but uh, just make them official. So the AFC, we got Baltimore and uh, Tennessee. Who you got? I'm going to take the upset. Uh, I'm going to take the Titans to win a close game over the Ravens. Again, I hope I'm wrong I like because it. I don't want to hear the Lamar haters. But I just feel like Tennessee is starting to feel like one of those teams because since Tannehill has been the starting quarterback, it's hard to argue they've not been one of the best teams in football. I I, I agree with that. I definitely want to take the favorites though with the uh, Ravens. We got the then we got the Chiefs and uh, the, 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 the the Texans. Chiefs and the Texans. I think the Chiefs probably win big. Um, yeah, I, I think the Chiefs went big too. Uh, then you got Seattle and Green Bay. I guess I'm going to – early in the week I'm going to say Green Bay. I want to say, though, that I have a right to change because I may end up picking Seattle before we get to this game. I don't really – Yeah, like I got Green Bay too. <laughs> I think it's going to be close. Who knows what's going to happen, but I think in Green Bay, in Lambeau, Without the running game, exactly. I think uh, yep. that, that, that Green Bay somehow finds a way to pull it out. I still don't believe in them. Uh, and then we lastly have the 49ers and the Steelers. I mean, I, what did I just say? The 49ers and the uh, Vikings. Play? I'm messing up. Vikings. And the Vikings. The 49ers and the Vikings. 
You going over the upset? Well, they're like I said. No, they're my Super Bowl team. I, I like the Niners. I think I think they're going to win it all this year. And last, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Did I forget anything? No, you got them all. What? What's so quick? Uh, who you got? In the National oh Colorado yeah, game? Got, okay. So I want to promote the. Uh, we don't have to go all the way there. Uh, I want to promote your show. Uh, you you and Alan are doing a Tuesday night show. And I think it's called Backdoor Cover. You guys found the name. I think you guys have a good chemistry. I like where you guys do it. You were off for the holidays, and now you're back. Anything else you anything you want to say about the, the show you guys are having on the IB Network? Well, just that we're going to, you know, do some recap to start the podcast, and we go over a few games. We will obviously do it from a gambling perspective. Don't listen to my picks. Uh, I'm definitely an amateur. Alan is very good. Uh, you want to listen to his picks. He's done very well in the two episodes that we've had. And for the people that were following for golf, we're still going to cover a lot of golf. It's going to be the more of the big tournaments. Uh, and basically whatever Alan tells me, he wants to, uh, you know, gamble on or he is confident about gambling on because the dude is really good. You should definitely check it out. All right. Uh, so I think that's a wrap. Thanks for coming on the show. I, I wanted to do this all year long. we got to figure out a way for us to be uh, podcasting together more consistently, too. But uh, yeah, always enjoy it. Folks, support all of our content. Have a great one. Absolutely. Later.